Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. Paul, in our reading this morning from his letter to the Ephesians, concerns himself with the subject of unity. Earlier in the chapter, he encourages the Christians within that community to make every effort to keep that unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. A unity based on one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. He then turns his attention to the way that Christians should live their lives, in particular where it touches on relationships. And in fact, if you follow the passage through to the middle of chapter 5, Paul contrasts the stark realities in the difference between the walk of the unbeliever and that of the Christian. Paul knows from his own experience and that of the churches for which he feels responsible that every one of these is a potential stumbling block, not only to the individual Christian, but also to the church as a loving and vibrant community. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Earlier in chapter four, uh, chapter two, verse four, chapter four, verse two in chapter four, Paul was writing in response to a particular need. In this case, it was the rising popularity of mysticism, which was undermining the authority of the fledgling church in Ephesus. People were becoming confused tempted by the attractiveness of alternatives, the hard sell which questioned the very authority of their God, the continual chipping away of their faith that was lacking in the maturity to realize just what was happening. And as a result, the community was beginning to lose its way, lose sight of its direction and purpose, lose the very sight of God himself. And as a result, there was a division, a division of bitterness, anger, selfishness, and the hardening of hearts and insensitivity towards fellow members. All those faults which Paul picks out and contrasts so well. This could not go on, otherwise the church would just self-destruct. It would become no different to the world and its values and morals. To put it bluntly, the church would become irrelevant as far as the general population was concerned. It's a straight choice, Paul tells his readers. You can't have one foot in one camp and one foot in the other. You can't call yourselves the body of Christ, the fellowship of believers, and have a foot in both camps. Make your choice and stick to it. Do not make room for the devil, 
Paul warns. Then halfway through listing the the evils which are apparent within the Gentile community, Paul comes out with a gem of a quote to sum up. Sum up that which he considers is the way out of the hole that the church seemed to be steadily and quite happily digging itself into. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as, for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What a phrase to get to the nub of the problem. But what does he actually mean by it? Be imitators of God. I know we should set ourselves targets, but don't you think we should set our sights just a little bit lower to start with? I could never win a marathon race. But when I did take part in one, and I did, in fact, three, I set myself a target of running the distance in, say, five hours, with wind assisted, of course. Isn't that just the same? Sorry, says Paul, but you're missing the point. You set your sights any lower than that, and suddenly the winning post is not so important anymore. Back come the distractions, and you're really just going through the motions. Oh, and it's so tempting, so tempting to draw an analogy here with the church of today. There are so many distractions, so many things which hold our attention and keep us looking anywhere but in the right direction. And while we're being distracted, we're also losing sight of our mission, in danger of falling into the same hole that the Ephesian Christians were digging in, and in danger of showing a divided and fragmented face to the world. Of course, while this is all going on, the genuine seeker after faith looks around and sees alternative lifestyles, alternative philosophies, which seem to offer the love, the security, and spirituality that the established church has somehow lost. Why else has there been such an interest in Eastern religions over the past few years? other than for the fact that Christianity is no longer seen to be scratching where people itch. In fact, the church itself spends far too much time itching, so how can it be relevant to the needs of the world? It was a problem in Paul's day, and it's a problem today for the simple reason that the basic nature of humankind is no different than it has ever been. Do not make room for the devil, Paul warns. And if you have one foot in either camp, then it's so easy for him to grab hold of your leg and pull you down. And that's why it's so important for us as a Christian community, 2,000 odd years after Paul wrote these words, to look at our Bibles and see how we can relate not only to the problems that the early church was experiencing, but also see how God's word to his people then can also be God's word to his people today. 
Be imitators of God, Paul tells them. As children of earthly parents, don't you recognize thoughts, actions, moral decisions that you make as broadly similar to those of your parents would have made or have made? Sometimes we might wish otherwise. But like it or not, we carry around with us the influences of our parents. Likewise, our own children will be influenced by our own lifestyle, ethics and morals. For some, this will be a bad thing. Your children learn from parents who have very few scruples or regard for others. But for Christian parents and children, well, hopefully, this will be an enriching experience from which they might grow into mature adults themselves. It's about learning and it's about growing. We can follow this through with Jesus' own words as written in John's Gospel at chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Bread is a wonderfully sustaining foodstuff. We could look at the individual ingredients and concoct a sermon simply on those. The yeast, the salt, the grain, which yields the wheat flour, the water which binds them all together. They all can have a significant spiritual significance. Which Jesus himself used in stories that he told. But let's look at the finished product and how we can relate that to the meaning that Jesus was inferring to the crowd who had so eagerly followed him all that day and seen him perform a culinary miracle with a few fish and some loaves of bread. We eat bread and it's absorbed by our bodies. It's converted into the energy that we need to live, work and grow. Complex carbohydrates broken down steadily to give us the sustenance we need as human beings. Protein builds up our strength. Vitamins and minerals ensure that our bodily organs and system function correctly. It is simple, nutritious and life-giving. When Jesus started talking about the bread of life, the crowd thought he was talking literally about bread. And immediately their thoughts turned to their stomachs and back to the manner that God had provided for his people when they were in exile. But no, Jesus tells them, he's not talking about the physical aspects of hunger. Yes, they had witnessed something of a miracle when so many people were fed and satisfied from the meal that he provided, courtesy of a few small fish and a loaf or two of bread. But that wasn't about showing off his power. There wasn't some form of conjuring trick to impress. As, as always with Jesus, there was a spiritual lesson to be learned. What he wants them to grasp is that within him is all the food that they need to grow spiritually. Real bread satisfies hunger. That satisfies hunger forever. Not just the rumbling stomachs and hunger pangs that they might be having in a particular place and time. 
we eat in order to grow. It's spiritual hunger that Jesus is talking about here. And that's something that has consequences not only for now but for eternity. Bread cooked in the chicken, the kitchen satisfies the physical hunger for a short while. But by growing through the consumption of the real bread comes the promise of eternal life and the share in the kingdom of God in this life, along with all the benefits that come from this. And here we touch again upon the words of Paul. Be imitators of God, said the apostle. How can we possibly do that in our own strength? Well, friends, quite simply, we cannot. But what we can do is to look to the one who is the bread of life. We can come to him and be sustained by him. Learn from him. Grow spiritually by the sustaining influence of his word and his spirit in our lives. And put what we learn and what we understand, our newfound spiritual maturity into practice in our daily lives. We can look to the one who is the source of all love and start to show love and compassion to others. We can look to the one who is the source of all truth and make truth our starting point when it comes to communicating with those around us. We can look to the one who is the source of all wisdom and put foolishness of the world behind us. We can look to the one who they call teacher and learn all those things which will build up our individual lives and the community that we call the church. We can look to the one who gave all without reserve or prejudice and look to our own relationships and see how those can grow and be nurtured on this bedrock of love. In other words, become imitators of God through understanding who Jesus is, by studying his word, by listening to him in the quietness of our times together, by looking at the example of his life and selfless giving, by literally opening up our lives open them up to be molded and modeled into the person that we were created to be. A unique creation within whom we, whom, he, whom can be discerned the love of the creator. Just as we can look at a person and sometimes see the parent shining through. And I'm here, I'm thinking about positive examples. So people should be able to look at us as individual Christians, as a worshipping community, and see something of our Heavenly Father shining through. And no, that's not impossible, because we have everything we need. We have God's Word in black and white, which presents the life and person to Jesus, of Jesus to us in a way that each of us can comprehend, however young, old, educated or not we happen to be we have jesus own words he presents himself to us as the spiritual food that will nourish us on our journey and beyond we have the teaching of the apostles and here particularly we read paul's words 
as he leads us to contemplate the stark reality of the choice that the church faced both then and today in the way that the Christian community interacts internally and also externally with the world. And we have an overriding promise of God that if we don't think we can make it on our own, then all we have to do is to ask. And anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away, says Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 37. Anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. Let me close this morning with Paul's words at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Lead a life worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all and in all. And from a reading this morning at the beginning of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen.